Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome to Women Leading the Way radio show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful business women together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. My name is Susan Gibson, and I am the host of Our Stories Matter. Now, today, we are not interviewing a woman. We are interviewing a man, because our topic today is a father's perspective. And our leading man is Brian Harris. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hi, Susan. I'm doing well. Okay. So, Brian, um, what's the name of your company or firm? What do you do? Uh, it's called Brian Edward Harris Artworks. I'm a fine artist and graphic designer as well as um, a, a full-time professional grandfather. Oh, that's the best job ever, isn't it? It is. I love it. Okay. So, I am grateful to have you here. <clears throat> to share what it's like to be a dad to a child who struggles with drugs and alcohol. So before we begin, please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Well, um, <clears throat> I am a father of three. Uh, we had uh, one child, our daughter, that was uh, the addict. Um, I've, I'm, a, I'm an Air Force veteran, 10 years in the, in the Air Force. Then I went into the corporate world into advertising and marketing and then moved on to graphic design. And then my last 20 years, I spent being a career substitute teacher in the elementary school in Riverside Unified School District. Mm-hmm. That must have gave you a lot, of, um, a lot of perspective around kids and behavior and dysfunction and things like that. Yes, especially yeah, especially at the elementary school, that was just a, a wonderful area for me, not only to connect with the, the little kids and be there to encourage them to be their best, but you definitely got a chance to see kids who had some of those behavior issues that you wanted to watch out for. Yeah. So, Brian, are you, um, are you ready to get started? <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So our first question today is, what is your take on the idea that maybe your child's addiction is your fault? Oh, that is such a, that's a powerful question, and I think it goes through every parent when they find out that their child is an addict of any kind. Um, and I think we all feel that because we want to look at ourselves as parents as being the ones that are training our children, and then we start saying to ourselves, well, what in the heck went wrong? But the attitude of it's your fault is absolutely um, a myth, and it's a a self-doubting thought process because you don't make your child make those choices um, as they move towards addiction. Okay. Do you think that addiction is something that they're born with? 
Oh, another difficult one. I think that I think that there certainly is evidence of predisposition, especially when we're looking at alcoholism. Um, my father was an alcoholic. He was recovered by the time I was born. Um, but within within my lineage and in my genes, that has been there as well as my uncle, which was his brother. Um, so I think that there definitely is some ge- genetics there. To drugs, I don't – I haven't researched enough of that. Um, our daughter got into drugs as well, so I can't speak to, you know, that definitive connection like I can alcoholism. Okay. So <clears throat> are there any guarantees that if you do everything right, you know, if you research and you join the support groups and you get the right words and, you know, the blah, 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 are there any guarantees for your child's recovery? Um, Sad to say, I think you have to come to grips with there is not. Um, And that was very difficult for my wife and I to hear because you you want your, your child to get better. But again, it comes back to those choices and, and what you learn as you go through this journey with your child and you talk to counselors and things, um, you also have to prepare yourself for relapses, um, even, as they're, even if they've gone through a good in-treatment program, you have to understand that there could be relapses and, and there's, no, there's no written guarantee when your child comes home from, from in-treatment that oh, good, you know, they're done, they're healed, they'll never um, never go this path again. Uh, you have to understand that that's, that's not going to be the case. Okay, so, so we know as the parents of addicts that it's not our fault. We didn't give it to them. We didn't, you know, pour alcohol down their throats or, you know, shoot heroin into their arms. Um, We know that there are no guarantees that if we do our work that they will recover and stay recovered. Um, But it also then alludes to the idea that if, if relapse is a possibility, which it is, then how do we not live in that space of, oh, my God, it's going to happen? And how do, we, how do we live in a state of peace rather than in hypervigilance so that every time the phone rings, we don't go, oh, my God, it's them. It, they're drinking again or it's the police. Or, so how do we find a way to live peacefully while we let them deal with their addictions? Again, another excellent question, and there's two sides to that one, Susan. That is, and the word that comes to my mind in looking at um, not having that fear, but yet knowing the, the, the reality could be a relapse, um, and that was communication. Um, okay. I had to, I had, my wife and I had to work very hard at how are we going to communicate with our daughter? And this would, this would be um, after she went into treatment, not before. But before that, things were always um, uncertain. And I don't think we ever stood on solid ground because you, you were correct. Every phone that rang, uh, it was our heart that went, oh, my God, this is, this is going to be the, the horrible call that, that 
we never wanted to have. But right. after after coming out of rehab um, for the for the first time, and hopefully that's all it is for most parents. But it's how do you communicate with your child without it being like you are the um, the inquisitor um, or okay. the you know the jailer. Um, and, and this is personal experience. I can't talk for other parents other than ones that I've shared with. You have to find a non, um, non-accusatory, non-threatening way um, to communicate with your child. And we developed and, and asked our daughter, Courtney, would it be okay if we asked you on a scale of 1 to 10 where you were, 1 being absolutely in the pit and 10 uh, stellar right on. And that covered all the aspects for her. Emotions, uh, wanting to do drugs, wanting to drink. She was also a self-harmer. She was a cutter. Um, and how are you How are you doing, you know, with your cutting? And all of those are 1 to 10 scale. Then that gave my wife and I a, an insight into where she was still struggling or where she was doing better. And that was certainly a comfort for us, even though knowing there could be a relapse. Brian, that is so um, powerful because I know for, from my experience that when you ask the why question, you mm. immediately put someone on the defensive. So when you're like, well, why are you feeling that way? It, it, they have to justify. So when you asked Courtney on a scale of one to 10, it takes away that um, her need to protect herself and get, you know, and put up her dukes, like, oh, no, here it that, comes. You know, it's exactly. like, um, yeah, so that just leaves it so open-ended and, um, and gives space for honesty without judgment. Yes, exactly. And the other side for us, for a family of faith, um, it gave us some key areas of where we would continue to pray. Um, mm-hmm. So if you struck temptation to cut, um, we knew that that was a focus of where our, our, our prayers for her would be. Um, so okay. it just allowed us to have her speak it and then for us to have a better understanding of where she was. Wow, that is, that is so cool. Um, <clears throat> let me ask you about the value of boundaries. Mm, okay. Well, I don't think that you can deal with any of our adult kids or even younger kids without setting clear boundaries. Like, for example, if my children <clears throat> are drinking and they call me in the middle of the night because they're, you know, they're overwhelmed, I can't have a clear, honest conversation with someone who's drunk. So a boundary is, I love you, but if you're drinking please don't call me. And if the phone call comes in and I know that they've been drinking, I can say, honey, based on our prior conversation, you already know that if you've been drinking, I can't have this conversation with you. You'll have to call me back. So Mm -hmm. it's that clear boundary with them, what we are willing and not willing to accept when they're in the midst of or actively in their disease. That is absolutely true. And so looking at, at what I went through as a father with Courtney, um, and I, I had better communication with Courtney 
during the journey up until the time we she went to in treatment than my wife did. There was far too many sparks between mom and daughter to the point that there was really not much dialogue at all. Um, so in that, um, the boundary that I set with her was knowing that that Courtney's volatility uh, in in you know defending herself or rationalizing herself related when she was talking with her mom. So very much like the drinking, I had to set the boundaries with Courtney of going, if you are going to get or you feel yourself, you're getting really, really angry, or I hear you getting angry, and that's the direction that you're communicating with your mom or I, um, I will stop the conversation and we'll talk about it again. Or, and or if it escalated too far, sad to say, if we were on the phone, I already told her that I will just hang up because that kind of conversation does not lead to anything positive. Mm, okay. And so when you would have to do that or if you had to do that or when you set boundaries with your daughter, did you find there were moments that she was mad at you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Because, so here you are. Part of, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, all I was going to say is part of her um, dialogue for so long was is that um, we didn't understand her, so that was okay. always um, bubbling in the in the background. So when you set a boundary, it was for her. It, she would be like, "See, I knew it. You don't understand me," and then she would be mad at you because mm-hmm. what I found with my daughter was that when I set boundaries it stopped the manipulation and she yeah. couldn't get what she wanted from me because I was no longer willing to be manipulated by her. That is correct. Absolutely correct. And that's, okay. that's the way I think most of the, most children, especially if they're getting up more into the young adult age, um, that's where their thought process will go. And, and that's a, they build that wall around themselves until you keep after the communication and uh, once they begin to realize that you are setting boundaries and setting communication uh, boundaries that you're really caring about them and yourself and it until they grab a hold of that yeah they are going to be very defensive i like that okay so brian we're going to take a quick moment to recognize one of our sponsors so women lead radio is brought to you today by connected women of influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be one of the largest private nonprofit universities founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all our sponsors and partners. So back to our show. Welcome back again to Brian. So Brian, we were were talking about boundaries. Um, You know, I, I understand today that boundaries are, they're not a wall, but they're sort of a fence with a gate. So when I set a boundary, I'm not telling people you can't come in. I'm just saying here is where you can come in. 
So Mm -hmm. I get to be in charge with what makes me feel comfortable and safe rather than being afraid that if I set the boundary with my adult child that they will never love me again and they will hate me forever and they will never, ever call me. So when when your heart as a dad, and I don't know if a dad's heart is different than a mom's heart, I just know that oftentimes we birth the children, which means our children are part of ourselves, you know. Uh-huh. So, um, so maybe we love differently or hold on tighter. I'm not. I'm not really sure. But what happens to you when that critter voice in your head says, "If you tell her this, she's going to stop loving you. You will uh-huh. never see her again." How do you uh-huh. deal with that? Um, very shaky and and, and very. Uh, feeling very intimidated or however you put it, or um, very apprehensive about that because if your child in the beginning of their addiction and when a parent, or especially when I began to find out that that's what Courtney was doing, drugs, alcohol, cutting, um, my mind couldn't wrap around that real quick. So yes, every, everything that my wife and I discussed about how we were going to look and handle it, there was always that fear that oh my gosh she might she might not call, and the only the only uh, support we had was we'd had a long discussion with her counselor from her in treatment program in Arizona, and she was saying that those again are all choices that your child can make. They have nothing to do with you. Um, you aren't making them make that decision. They're doing it for their own, I don't know, protection, I guess, or they don't want to mm-hmm. be called accountable. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have to be aware that that possibly could be a result. Um, and and that's also evaluating if you're making those boundaries and those choices, you know, and they're reasonable and they're not over the top, um, that, yeah, you're going to have to have that in your head and realize that's a possibility. So when, you know, when your daughter would call you, or if your daughter calls you, or let's say this may not have happened to you, but as a dad, you know, your daughter calls yep. you and says, Dad, you know, I'm, um, I can't pay my bills. I've lost my job. I'm, I'm going to be homeless. You know, I've, I've got to come back home and live with you and Mom, or you've got to pay for my apartment. What do you say? What do you do? Um, yeah, and I think again, this is that's one of the things that that we approach as parents. Um, in in I'm going to use the the you know the cliche tough love. Um, okay. I have mixed emotions about that particular topic, but um, come to as a dad realizing that if I enable my child or if I enable Courtney to continue in that path by providing her money or bailing her her out of everything, that wasn't the best for her. And Mm -hmm. so there were those times where we knew that, um, well, or that she would bring up that, you know, she needed money and stuff like that. And and we had to look at her and say, well, we we don't have that money uh, right now. And your choices are your choices. Well, that's the phrase that any addict doesn't want to hear. Mm. So it puts 
that it puts that on them to go, these are your choices. Your mom and I didn't choose this for you. And we still, in, in her younger years, we still had another one of our children at home. And mm-hmm. we, aren't gonna, we aren't going to add that dilemma, hardship, uh, drama in, or into our family because of the choices you've made. You know, I was I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about, you know, the idea that, you know, if an addict says, I need money for an apartment, and then you find out that the money that you give them ends up going to buy them drugs, then the idea that, well, I'm helping my child not stay alive, then becomes the possibility that uh-huh. your help is what gave them the money to buy the drugs that caused their death. Mm-hmm. Correct. So in that so, scenario, well, go ahead. No, finish your thought. Well, I think that there's a decision you can make there. Um, and if you feel that the request is legitimate and you want to be sure it's taken care of, let's say, like you mentioned, an apartment, um, then what I would have done with Courtney if that came up was I'd say, fine, let's go down to the, the rental office um, and let's, you know, find out which apartment you're looking at. And I said, I'll pay them, you know, the down okay. payment and whatever. Control of that and yet still helping your child. And if all of a sudden there's a, a roadblock or they kind of step back on that aspect, then you've still protected your child because you're not giving them that cash that could further the addiction. That's that's a very wise point. I remember when my son wanted to move out, and frankly, I wanted him to move out. You know, it's like, I'll do anything to get you out of here. I love you, but I'll I'll pay your rent. I'll buy you a car. I'll get you a job. Get out of here. Um, But I told him I would not pay his rent, but I would, you know, I'd get him a refrigerator, and I'd get him a couch. And so I went about my wonderful enabling business of finding my child all these things that he needed so he could be comfortable. You know, and then a couple months later, the kid gets kicked out of his apartment for throwing beer bottles into the walls and mm-hmm. putting holes in walls. And, and all the furniture is left there. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. I asked all my friends to step forward to help my poor child and now you've been kicked out of your apartment and you've left all the furniture behind. I won't do yep. that again. Right. Now, I right. will share with you that when I was contacted and my oldest son, um, I was contacted while I was in at a conference, a leadership conference with Mary Kay Cosmetics. I was in Houston, Texas. And Katie called and she's like, Matt needs to go in treatment. Dad needs $1,800 for you. Can, um, I'll just get your credit card number. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait mm. a minute. I can't just do this in this moment. I need 24 hours to get a little bit more information and process it. And so uh, he, so this is how I came to that decision. I had, I had to search my heart. I had to pause. I had to pray. And I had to search my heart and I had to ask myself the question. If your son dies in his disease, which is always a possibility, mm-hmm. would you be okay with the fact that you did not help him have get into treatment? And I realized that I couldn't live with that. Mm. So 
I said to him, your dad and I will pay half. His dad was married and living in Washington. I said, I will pay half, but I will never do it again. Okay, this, mm. is, this is your chance to grab a hold of whatever it is you need. And if you don't make this work, I will never pay for treatment again. And that was okay with me. I, mm. I was solid in that choice. Um, you know, and as you know, Matthew is working for the railroad now. He just got married. Absolutely. And at one point, I had to let him be homeless. You know, he had to shower at the YWCA or YMCA and stand a food line. And, you know, I, don't you agree that it's in those moments where we let them fall that they may end up reaching that point where they get better? Absolutely, absolutely correct, Susan. And, and that was, we got that pinning when, when Courtney was in, in treatment um, and they had a, what they call, um, uh, what is it, family truth uh, portion mm. of the rehab where family members come and there was, I think there was like six or seven girls that were in, in treatment with Courtney around the same time. So um, they sat and then parents sat and then each, each uh, addict, they would sit in the chair in the center and then their a family member would sit across from them, and you could bring, I think, up to four family members. And you sat down, and you shared with each other um, what, the, what their addiction was doing to them, either the addict or the, the family member. And that was mm. huge. That was done. Um, you, you realized, again, that it was going to be their their choices and you had to deal with as a parent um just like you said susan how much financially if 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 any that you're going to give them are you willing to do and you have to have that conversation with yourself as well as and go i'll go this far um but but from here on that i can't have it impact the family your your decision has been this um, I'll be there to love you, um, right. but I'm not going to be to continue to, you know, pick you up and and coddle you for a period of time to go back and do the next poor choice. Right, right. And I, I think probably we're almost at the end of our interview, Brian, but I did want to ask you one other question, and that was what was what's the hardest choice that confronted you in this um, growing up, watching Courtney grow up and deal with her addiction? Hardest choice, uh, which was thrust upon us, um, was was realizing that he made the decision to run out into traffic by CBU where she was going to college, and she was trying to get herself run over. Um, oh. And she was picked, picked up 5150, taken into Riverside Holding Center, then went out to Loma Linda Behavior Medicine and was held there for a week or so. But it was that fact of going – this is the bottom she needs in treatment but she was 18 and so Mm -hmm. the toughest choice how to work through that and make her understand that she needed to and that took me oh it easily a month to I nothing I did nothing but call 
facilities to see if they would take our insurance and what kind of facility it was before we sent her to Arizona. Mm. Gosh, watching your child try to kill herself. I think addiction is like watching your child every day who are actively using and drinking. It's like watching them kill themselves every day. Well, Brian, we have come to um, to the end of our show. I'd like to say thank you for being our leading man. Um, I did want to ask you, in case our listeners, especially, you know, dads or maybe even women who are like, I don't know what to do with my husband along with my addict child, um, is there a way that they could reach out to you and contact you? Yes, absolutely. The easiest way for them would be to um, text me. Well, excuse okay. me, email me. Email me okay. because my phone gets blown up with junk. So it is all lowercase, B is in boy, E is in Edward, H is hotel, studio, S-T-U-D-I-O, at hotmail.com. Thank you. Okay, so they can reach out to you and make a connection. Um, yes. <clears throat> so thank you for, um, for joining us today. This is not an easy subject for any of us, but I think that people need to know that it's, you know, it's, not a, it's not a death sentence. I mean, it's, it's an illness that needs to be addressed, and it's not just the addict's um, disease. I mean, it's, it's not just the addict's problem. It's a family problem because it affects all yes. of us. So. Uh, I wanted to say a special thanks to all our listeners, both in the U.S. and internationally, as we are an international show. So that makes it exciting that it's not just America who gets to hear it, but globally people get to hear it. Um, And remember, we will be back again for another live Women Lead radio show soon. Um, I will be speaking next time to a woman who has a son who's an addict, but this woman also um, lived through a suicide, um, and she's going to share her story a little bit about that. So it's been my sincere pleasure to be your host today, and to all our listeners out there, remember you're not alone on your journey of loving an addict. There's always hope. And Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.